Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Sam Webb, your host. If you're new to the podcast, God, it's great to have you here. Welcome, welcome on board. I hope you, you've landed here under the most greatest circumstances. Wherever you are in the world, I hope that you're well. I hope that you've come here willing to, to learn and keep an open mind into what we discuss on this podcast. It's my promise to each and every one of you who listen in week in, week out to this podcast to bring you guests' experiences from all walks of life so that we can learn together and grow into the best version of ourselves. And it just goes without saying, I'm, I'm very grateful to have you here. Today is December. Are you kidding? We're in December. The 7th is a great day. It's my favorite number. And today I'm bringing you one of my favorite guests. His name is Christian Delator, a friend of mine who I met out here in Los Angeles, California. He's a, a remarkable, inspiring, very energetic guy. Actually shares the same birthday as I do, May 30th. We've got a lot in common, but this guy is a retired veteran. He was a front man in the military, so to speak, as an infantry officer. He served quite a bit of time here in the U.S. Army. He's done remarkable things for both the country and for people individually. And I can't wait to bring him onto the podcast to talk about his experiences in the military as a veteran what that experience was like for him, both being deployed and back at camp or back at base, so to speak, I guess post his wartime and as a veteran and transitioning out of that field in his life and into acting and, and public speaking and traveling and you know recording his travels in his van. He's a great guy who does really, really great things. And I really want to find out on a deeper level what it was like for Christian, you know, in the military at a front line, but also explore what it was like with his PTSD experience post-veteran life for him and how that has been for him, how he manages it, what the stigma is like in the army, especially here in the USA, what it's like, how you can talk about mental health, what can't you talk about, is it still taboo? We're going to explore all of those areas and I want to speak to him specifically about self-care strategies he employed through his time in the military where he thought it was best to suck things up and just move on with his day-to-day -day routine and, and being a front man. So 
Without giving too much more away, I just want to say thank you for being here. If you love the podcast, if you really like it, please, I urge you to help this podcast grow and escalate up the podcast ranks. Please like, subscribe to the podcast. Please take a minute or two to review it. Leave five-star rating if you really like it and help us get this podcast into more people's ears right around the globe. That is the responsibility that we all have. We can all put in our part. And if we really like this, we can infect and, and affect more people and help more people start living their best lives that they can possibly live. But without further ado, I'm going to welcome onto the podcast my good buddy, great human being, and an all round legend, Christian Delator. Welcome, Christian. You're not going to believe it. I'm looking at him right now. The bloke's got more percentages from different parts of the world in him than, than, a, than a stray dog. He's Mexican. He's Spanish. He's Italian. He's got a bit of Irish. Christian Delatore. How do there I say it, right, mate? Welcome onto the podcast. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. No, you're there. You just got to roll the R's. De la Torre. But you're on it, bro. It takes me time. You know what? The sad thing about the ethnicity diversity with me is I don't speak any Spanish. I speak no Italian and it's pretty bad. I got family members jumping down my throat at it, but nah, man, it's good to see you. Fired up. You too, man. It's always great to see you. Same days. We should let the guests know that you and I share the same birthday day. Oh, we are crazy. May 30th, Gemini brothers for life. And I don't think there's anyone out there that has the energy. I've never met anyone in my life that's had the same amount of energy, if not more than you. And that's how I knew, brother, when we first met. And then you said your birthday was May 30th. I couldn't believe it. It was just unreal, dude. Mate, your energy is pretty gnarly too, man. Well, welcome onto the podcast. It's a pleasure, man, having you on. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, man. Obviously, you've repped and been a big advocate of living over the years since we've met, obviously, out here in LA. Absolutely. Mate, take me back. Let's take our audience on a journey, how we met, how you ended up in this world here in Los Angeles, California. And yeah, talk to me, mate. Talk me through it. Yeah. So, and we can get into this more, but post-military. So I was a, for those listening, I was a officer in the military for an extended amount of years, active duty infantry officer. And long story short, jumped to September of 2020. I moved out to California. I had some childhood friends of mine telling me to get out here. This is where it should be. Yada, yada. Didn't know what I was doing, was doubted quite a bit. Hence being in the middle of a pandemic, moving to a brand new city to start a new life which I had no idea what that life was going to consist of. However, within those first couple months, I would say is when I bumped into you through our mutual friend, John and Jake and, you know, Brenna, other people out here. And, you know, I was just still am early in my, you know, acting career sort of thing. And that's where you and I started getting to talking, you know, and I was very, very inspired by you, your story, and then hearing your, you know, the mission about living and what that consists of and the background that you provided on how it got started, me being a veteran and dealing with, you know, my own battles, my own demons within, and then others, you know, whether that be PTSD, depression, anxiety, I could not get more excited about what you and the rest of the family at Living were doing. And I think our relationship, that kind of bridged the gap there of our friendship relationship. And, you know, now we're pretty damn close, if you ask me. So I think that's how we met. I don't know. You tell me. But yeah, man, that's, that's it, what I man. recall. And you left one of your best mates, mate. Maverick. Maverick was there too. Maverick, oh, Maverick, of course. Maverick. Of course. Yeah, my dog, yeah. Maverick. Maverick That's right. A legend, man. What a great dog, man. But yeah, you're definitely right. You know, I was particularly drawn here, obviously, when we met. 
your energy, obviously, your background, your passion and zest for life, it goes without saying. And I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast right now can already pick up on that in such a short period of time without actually even knowing it in human form. Take me back, mate, though, before, you know, where did all this start? You went into the military at what age? Talk to me through how all that started because you're not from Los Angeles originally, are you? Yeah, man. So great question. So I'm originally born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. That's where I'm from. Grew up with two sisters, a mom, stepdad. My whole family has been military. My mother, my aunt, uncle, grandfather, you know, cousins. And that was kind of something that I was always into. But I was pursuing hockey. I had a freak accident happen where I got my left leg severed by a hockey skate playing goalie. So that kind of derailed my hopes and dreams of going to play in the NHL one day in college hockey. But I found my way through college in ROTC, which is the Reserved Officer Training Corps. And for people that don't know, essentially what it is, is you get a scholarship, you get contracted through the United States military to go to college. They pay for your degree, your housing, all your books, and you owe them, you know, four to five years minimum, essentially guaranteed once you commission as an officer, whether that be active duty or National Guard or Reserve. So that's kind of how I got my route to the military while also utilizing the military's benefits to kind of, you know, afford college because I couldn't afford college at all whatsoever unless I had a sports scholarship and or some other type. But that's how I got my way into the military. And in 2015, I commissioned as a United States active duty military officer in the infantry. What does that mean? So talk to me about, okay, so if you're in you know, the guard as opposed to, yeah. you know, active duty. What's the difference? Talk to me through it. And how does that work? So you've been sworn into the military, you've done your time, you've worked your ass off, you've earned your stripes, so to speak. And then what happens? Yeah, well, actually, it's quite the opposite. You haven't earned anything at this point. You're just okay. really, you're really just a label and coming into the military is a difference. There's enlisted soldiers, and then there's officers. Okay. And then within the enlisted ranks, you can become a non-commissioned officer. However, I became a commissioned officer. So Really, the only difference is I got a college degree, which bumps me up in rank in pay, which is interesting because eventually you get to the workforce in the United States military and you have no experience besides some training and whatnot and some college experience. So you kind of get hassled a little bit for that, which makes sense. But it's just a route to get your degree and kind of bump you up in the rankings per se with a little more responsibility from the get-go. But yeah, they comped everything. You just owe them some time. And the difference between active duty and National Guard or reserve per se is active duty is all federal, whereas National Guard is state ran essentially. And you only work a weekend a month. So a lot of people call them weekend warriors because you can continue to work your nine to five, but one weekend out of the month, you go and you train, you do your military you know, job tasks and things like that. So it's just a little different of an approach, whereas active duty, your full-time military, your nine to five is your, you know, MOS specific job, whether that be logistics, infantry, you know, ordnance. That's really all it is. You can just balance it between your civilian duties and your military duties, or you can go full-time military. And that's what I ended up doing. You ended up going full-time military. Full-time military, active duty, and the branch that I was chosen for was infantry. And for those of you who don't know, that's essentially the people on the front lines, you know, that go into battle to do the fighting per se, but it's not necessarily small arms, you know, men and women on other men and women contact anymore, but it's definitely still an experience to say the least, especially when you deploy. Yeah, 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 absolutely, man. So what going through all this and, you know, a few years ago as you know, yeah. in the veteran space, so to speak. And this is something very new to me. And it's something, I guess, in Australia, I feel like 
me living here in the States, I feel like veterans for some reason, I don't know, sorry, I should say that I don't know the reason, but I feel like they're looked after more over here in the US as opposed to Australia. I yeah. Don't know what it is. I don't know why. I think they should always be looked after, but I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, like it's always spoken about over here. There isn't a stigma around military and veterans and stuff over here in the States as opposed to Australia. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I wouldn't say you're wrong by any means. I would say you're just, you know, politely making an observation based off living in America compared to Australia. And I actually would like to say, I feel the complete opposite. I think veterans, you hear about it a lot. You see the flyovers, you know, we're very prideful to a degree in respect to our military per se, especially after, you know, post 9-11. But I think veterans are not taken care of to the degree that they should be. And that's coming from someone who's recently a medically retired veteran and within the VA system and just the transparency from when soldiers are, you know, basically taking that bridge in the gap from military to civilian career. The transition to me was very hard and I had a lot of resources at hand to do it, being in a leadership position and whatnot. But you see it all the time and the care out here. I mean, I'm almost, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure the magic number, the most talked about number is 22. And that's to represent how many veterans every single day take their lives by suicide. And it's up to 22. And the numbers are actually increasing, even though since the Civil War, the casualties of war have been decreasing. We're seeing all the spike in disabilities, mental health specifically, PTSD, and the suicide number is skyrocketing. So it's interesting to hear your perspective. And this is just my personal opinion, along with some statistics that has been pushed out that I really try to stay tuned in with. But for me, I feel like it's a problem. There's also with this newer generation, the younger generation, war and fighting in the soldier mentality is almost looked down upon as in like very, I don't want to get political, but if you're in the military, you're this hard charging right wing person who doesn't support human rights or civil rights, all this weird stuff. We're kind of military personnel are slowly getting categorized into a political way and, or just the exact opposite of like, you have to be tough. You were in the military. So there is a big stigma around I think in general, the mental health side of things with men in the military and women as well. And I actually have some stories and some things to share with people I've served with. I actually talked with them prior to us having this conversation. I wanted to talk to a couple of my veteran friends, non-commissioned officers and whatnot and get their personal opinion. And yeah, it's sad to hear some of the stories, but we're definitely in the healthcare aspect. We are fortunate enough to have the VA. So I don't want to make it seem like I am ragging on them because I utilize them and I have free healthcare. It's a very interesting position to be in as a veteran with, you know, with the healthcare that I have, but not seeing the results that I want. For sure. And I appreciate that. And I'm really, really, you know, interested to hold you up right there. And it's great. You know, that was simply just my observation. I feel like maybe it's just spoken about, maybe it's more of a Fugazi, Fugazi. It's just very surface level stuff I hear and see, but maybe you're right underneath the surface. It's probably, there's a lot of work that probably still needs to be done in order to take care of veterans and all that sort of stuff, you know, and their families too, I think is a big part of it as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And just so you're aware too, you're not wrong by any means. You're absolutely right. There has been so much more progress and support with the veteran community with pushing that message. So you're not wrong, but with everything, there's always, you know, cons of systems and the way that, you know, people go about 
handling those situations when getting out of the military or when they're currently in the military. But no, man, you're not wrong. It's good to hear your perspective as well, honestly. Mate, can you tell me, because I know a lot of people will probably think, and I know before I had this conversation with you and many conversations with, you know, friends and other people in my life who have served, you know, time in military, frontline, being deployed and all that sort of great stuff and represented their country exceptionally well. What's a normal day look like for you? So when you go in, you're talking about this nine to five. I know before I was even educated in all of this, I was like, what does it mean? Like when someone gets enlisted and goes to the army, what does a nine to five actually look like? Because some people have told me it's kind of like just a normal job. You go there, you check in, you do your day, and you check out and you leave. But sometimes it was never really that clear. So as an infantry officer going to camp or to base, so to speak, I'm not talking going to Iraq or East Timor or Afghanistan. I'm talking going to the army, you're working, you're earning your stripes, you're doing your time, you're meeting people. What does a nine-to-five day look like for you as a job? Absolutely. So that's a great question. And for myself, I'm only speaking on the infantry officer leadership position. And we'll go as my first job, which was a platoon leader. So I'm in charge of up to 39 soldiers. They're under my responsibility, you know, three or four squads, essentially, depending on how you break those up. What I did is I would get up every unit's different and whatnot, but I would go to base Fort Carson, Colorado is where I was stationed down in Colorado Springs. I'd get up, I'd report in around 6 a.m., 6.30, we line up, we have first formation, we take accountability, make sure everyone's there, people sick, whatnot, you know, just checking in with everyone. And we do physical training for about an hour. After that, you know, people kind of get to go shower, do their thing. But essentially what we're doing depends on the mission at hand and what we're training for. When I say training, it consists of going to the gun range, learning doctrine, learning tactics on paper, doing a variety of tasks that will maintain our readiness if we were to get called to deploy. And that's so many different things, but it's ensuring that our weapons are clean, ensuring that we're, you know, we're going out and doing tactical ruck marches with 50, 60 pounds on our back. We're, you know, understanding doctrine, the lay of the land. We're doing land navigation. We're getting outside with compasses and maps and learning how to read the terrain. You know, so, you know, we're working with other assets and other units, whether that be combat engineers or, you know, you're working with the mortar team that, you know, those are essentially the people that, you know, drop mortars from behind you and suppress the enemy. So it's a diverse scale of what you do, but essentially it's a nine to five with a lot more stress and very hands-on. As an officer, I am behind the desk quite a bit. And that's just because my job specifically is to resource you know, ensure that the resources are there for my non-commissioned officers, my squad leaders, the sergeants, the people below me, and also ensuring that I'm writing reports and doing risk management stuff for my superior officers. So everyone knows what's going on with my specific platoon. But it's just, you know, it's, it's a like nine running, to five. It's like running a business, man. Sounds like you're running, yeah. you're running a team. You're, it was a managerial yes. role. You're, so, okay, okay. And very physical. You mentioned there that you guys do a lot of physical kind of hard yak running lifting, oh, yeah. moving it's very physical and i guess with the physical side does that include going to the gym work absolutely on physical health and yeah what about your mental health side of it because often you hit a number before 22 veterans a day here in the u.s are dying by suicide the number is probably a lot greater than that but that's the number right now yeah let's be honest right we talk about mental health mental health is something that we're in a mental health People like to say that there's two pandemics right now. There's COVID and there's mental health, right? So absolutely, let's investigate that. Why do you think 
What's your experiences being in and around the military, having these conversations with other people in your team and superiors and other officers and stuff like that? Why do you think mental health is so prevalent in the military space and as a veteran? Why do you think this is the case? If you're not, especially if you haven't been deployed, like if you haven't actually gone to... Yeah. worked up all these years, right? And you're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to go to war. I'm working. Like some people literally are waiting for their break to go, all right. Oh, we were, yeah. I'm waiting yeah. for my break to be an actor, right? I'm waiting to be here in Hollywood. You guys are waiting for your break to go to Syria or Afghanistan or Iraq. Absolutely. So you can be in the front line. Yes. What's the consequences of actually not living out that expectation or that dream or that goal? Yeah. Yeah, it's a fully loaded question, what I'm trying to say here. I love here. it, so I love I'll it. Let, I love I'll it. let you decompress and, mate, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'll give you two kind of answers, but a lot of little ones within that, because I can speak on behalf of both, the prior to deployment and then actually deploying. So, and I'm also speaking, and people will understand that our military, I am talking about the infantry mentality. The infantry is a very tough, hardcore, very driven work environment. It's very, you know, masculine. There are women now allowed to be in the infantry role as of a couple of years ago. There are, and prior to that, there wasn't that opportunity and that's a different topic, but I'm glad they're being integrated in. But with that being said, essentially what you're doing, I think we have failed. And when I say we, myself included as an officer and a leader, being in a leadership role in the military, we have these trainings in the military called SHARP and EO. And what that means in civilian terms is mandatory sexual assault and mandatory equal opportunity training. Everyone goes, hey, today we got this. And everyone goes, oh, geez. And they roll their eyes and we got to get it done. It's like safety briefs. It's like ticking a box, like ticking a box. Yep. You're just ticking a box off, right? And you got to complete it because there's the issues within those two categories as well that we won't get into right now. But with that being said, I don't remember any mental health training. I don't remember. We did some breathing courses and learning stuff on hands on hand combat. That was stuff I set up, but there was no mandatory mental health awareness training. I don't even recall. Actually, I know for a fact, we didn't even have a psychiatrist, psychologist. Now we had nothing like that on staff when we're back in garrison, as they call it in America. So when you're back home training, but essentially what it is, is for the people that haven't deployed, when you want to do your job and you want to serve your country and you want to essentially go kill bad people doing bad things to other people in the infantry role, all you want to do is make sure you have your job correct, you're mentally, physically ready. But we forget that the mental side of things, it's like working your bicep. You need to do mental reps as well. You need to train your brain. You need to understand what you're getting into, what you're going through. And it's okay to feel these ways. And a lot of the times, 90% of the time in the infantry, I said it myself to soldiers is, are you injured or are you just in pain? So when you talk about the physical side of things, all we did was pound and pound our bodies and destroy our knees and our back and our brains thinking and training and pushing ourselves to the limit. And we'd get an injury. And it was very much a known fact in the infantry and within the military culture in general, just, are you hurt? Or can you take a knee, drink some water, suck it up and drive on? And there's no action behind the mental side of things. As soon as you bring up anything with mental health, you're flagged. We got to keep an eye on this guy or gal. I don't know if they're stable. Are they? Can we even have them holding a weapon? Do we trust them at a range? It very quickly gets escalated to this person is a risk, not to themselves, but to other people in the unit. Because if you're not mentally strong, 
AKA if you're just don't ever talk about your mental side of battles at all. And you just hold it all in and suppress it down, which is what we're trained to do because we know if we bring any of that up to anyone, it could get seen as being weak. It could be seen as a threat. And so it gets pushed down with all the men and women I served with that we, we suppress it. And especially pre-deployment because you want to have your opportunity to go and do what you signed yeah, up to do. Not, you don't want to have any vulnerabilities. Nothing. Or, you don't want to have any risk factors there. Yeah, I get that. So talk to me through that part of it then and with the deployment. So I just think you're already setting yourself up for failure by mentally suppressing everything you want, no red flags. And then you get to in the country and you get to your mission. And then you're like, oh, now we're not just training. We're in a combat zone where people are dropping bombs and or trying to kill me daily or on the regular. So now your height of awareness, your situational awareness, your anxiety, your, you know, you are just so hyper alert. You're so on edge all the time that it really starts to wear and tear on you. There's a saying in the military. So when you're deployed and people will understand it, I'll break this down. You always say, we're trying to stay left of bang. Now, what that left means of is what? Left think of, of bang. Bang. Like bang. Okay. Yep. Like bang, just think of the word bang. And what that means is left of bang is a bad situation. For example, you want to stay left of bang. We want to be, quote unquote, proactive before we drive over an IED or before we get attacked or before we do something that's going to cause you know, a reaction that could result in confrontation or small arms fire, whatever it may be. You want to stay left of that. So you want to be proactive. What that ends up turning into is being... I want to say paranoid. And then when you come back from a deployment and you're always constantly in that state of paranoia, it starts to wear and drag you down like nothing before. And that's when I started realizing probably a year and a half after I got out of the military that my PTSD was becoming real. And I wasn't someone who was in insane battles every single day. Of course, I got shot at and we had you know, our IDF and really close calls and things of that nature. And, and you see death all the time, whether it's drone footage, you know, but I came back and I was like, this is weak. I don't know how people have PTSD. And then a year happened and a year and a half went by and I was trying to stay left of bang for no reason. And what I mean is I would be standing there and I'd see a semi coming and the loud noise of the semi getting closer and closer. I'm like, why am I so like, I'm ready for the semi and hey, something you, to happen. You activated your fight or flight. Fight or flight. And it doesn't make sense. So you get people that are trying to hide all their vulnerabilities and want to deploy and they're so excited. And then sometimes they don't even get to deploy. And now they have a stigma around them because they're not, they haven't deployed. They haven't seen war. They don't understand their job. It's just a toxic way of living. And it's also hard. Imagine having a wife and kids and every nine months or every other year you're deploying, you're leaving for six to nine months, then you're coming back, then you're leaving. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That tapped onto your job responsibilities, your mental health issues, your body wearing down. It's just not sustainable and it's hard. And then you get thrown back into the civilian lifestyle and go, all right, go figure it out. And some people don't have college degrees. They don't have anything. And the transition there, mate, no doubt would be very difficult for most people, especially if they don't have any education on the background of that and they just ended up in the military. So, mate, before we go on to that, and I want to talk about the transition, because no doubt the transition is probably one of the most toughest experiences coming back into the real world. Absolutely. Can you talk me through with the deployment for you? Like, what was that feeling like? Talk me through it in your eyes. Like, what was the feelings like? You were told you were about to deploy. You knew that this was the break you might have been looking for all the way up until, you know, what, yeah. Talk to me through that. Yeah, absolutely. So once we got notified that we were getting deployed, I was super excited. It's a different type of war front than it used to be. Like I said, we're not like busting down doors as much per se, but I knew that we were going to a dangerous place to help, you know, eliminate dangerous people that were doing where, harmful where, things where, where to, you know. So I deployed to Afghanistan. I was based out of Bagram, which is a massive military base there. There's, you know, Bagram, Kandahar. Now those are no longer occupied since we have pulled out. And that's another story in itself, which is interesting to think about, but it was massive. It was a massive like mini city essentially. And then you would do missions out of there and or, you know- So we that were, was like a safe place though, where your base was kind of relatively safe? Relatively safe as in, you know, there weren't so bad soldiers walking around inside, but we would get- But bombed. you still had to be on edge. Yeah. You still had yeah. to be on edge and shit. We'd get bombed every day or every other day by IDF, which is indirect fire. So mortars being launched at us. We were basically surrounded- Bagram is in a bowl, essentially surrounded by mountains that are 18 to 20,000 feet in elevation. So they have the tactical advantage there. And we have devices that shoot the missiles down and stuff. But even when they do that, the particles and debris fall down and people are getting messed up. And you're still privy to all the sounds and all the... Oh, yeah. (laughs) So the psychological stuff is very hard hitting, very prevalent there. So, okay, so you get told you're going from base in Colorado Springs or wherever you're based at to being one morning, hey, guys, in this platoon, in this area, in this infantry, you guys are being deployed to Afghanistan. What's it feel like? And what's going through your head at this stage? Yeah, as someone who's single, no tie downs with a partner or anything like that, being in his young 
20s, I was excited. This was my time to get some combat experience. Time, I was to shine. time to shine, time to get my soldiers down there and whatnot and get them back home safe and alive. And so and how, how long were you working for up until this stage? How long were you working for this moment up for? I deployed in 2000, I want to say 18. So I was working to, you know, 2016, 17, about yeah, two, yeah, three yeah. years of training prior to my first call to deploying. And we did do a smaller deployment prior to my Afghanistan one, but that was to Europe. It was more training. It wasn't combat deployment. So it was exciting to get into something, but you get the call, you get all your gear, you're packing for days, you're ensuring everyone's good to go. You're really excited. And then, you know, a couple of days before you get a little nervous, you get sad. I'm leaving my dog. You're leaving family. You're not sure if you're coming back, but you're feeling pretty confident and good that you will. So it's just a whole new experience of like, okay, now it's getting real. And it still doesn't really sink in until you land. And once we landed in Afghanistan, I don't know, 11 and a half hours later, whatever it was, they opened the, you know, the gates and it looked like Colorado Springs with all the mountains. So I didn't know if it was just a training and exercise. So this is like an army plane takes you high. Not a yeah, like plane. a big, yeah, big, big plane. I think we were in a C1. I don't even know what we were in. A yeah, massive, a massive it's a proper one. military plane. Yeah. A proper military plane takes you across overseas. Yeah. But so what will usually happen though, is depending on where you fly into, you'll take commercial to like Maine or something. And then from Maine, you'll get on a military plane and then fly into country. So sometimes it's, you know, it's chartered plus, yeah. So it's just, you just want to get there and get acclimated and the time zone and all that sort of thing. But you get there and as soon as you land, they're just like, hey, get your stuff on. <laughs> At any point, if there's incoming and you're kind of like, what is going on? And so there's bunkers everywhere for you to fall into. And the first time you hear the alarms of indirect fire coming, you're really scared. But as time goes on, it becomes the normal. You're just like, sitting at your computer or something working, you hear incoming, incoming. You sit there and two months in, you're like, okay, this is nerve wracking. Let me put my gear on. Four months in, you're like, if it's my time, it's my time. Like you just really, yeah. Wow. It's a different, it's a mental swing for sure. But where do you sleep? Like, where do you sleep when you've been deployed? All right, you're off the plane, you get sworn into your little location, your bunkers or whatever, but where do you actually rest up and sleep? Yeah. So when you're on base, you sleep in these things called your chews is what they're called. Like, and the first one I lived in was like this concrete room, essentially with like, I think it was like six to eight people, just bunk beds. And that's it. <laughs> bunk beds and an open drawer. And you just, you know, you're in there and you just. So it's a drive away though, a drive away from where it's like where all the. You're on a are. big base. Think of yourself as like in West Hollywood, that's your base. And you know, you have these shelters within, and then we got moved to sleeping. I got moved into, I slept in a, I think it was like a 12 to 18 foot shipping container like those just my buddy and i slept in those with a bed and a closet and that was it but that's on base so that's nice sometimes when you're in an you know off base or you're doing missions somewhere you have a smaller you know fob that you're working on a forward operating base or things of that nature and it's just tents and cots it depends on the situation but you know or if you're doing patrols and stuff and you're making patrol bases you're sleeping out on the ground but not so much nowadays you usually have a cot or like a little post or somewhere you're at but we were pretty comfortable to a degree because of our defense mechanisms on base but it's still like if something comes down when you're living in those shipping containers it's going right through them it'll shred it like you know a missile will come through that and basically evaporate <laughs> evaporate you or shred you up pretty good but oh, not nah, man man that's crazy man so okay so you're on base you, you get settled in you hear yeah. these alarm things going off incoming missiles yeah. incoming <laughs> fire and all that so talk me through an active time yeah like talk yeah me through that. i've got so many questions for you absolutely so my first time basically what you hear is you hear this siren and everyone will know what this is but it's like you're like eh, 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 
incoming, incoming, and you know a missile's coming to hit the base. So you immediately throw your kit on, which consists of your body armor, your Kevlar, you're supposed to grab your weapon, and then you run actually outside into another concrete-shaped bunker with sandbags and stuff to protect you. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, if you're in a shipping container or you're in a place where you can't get access to a bunker, sometimes they're you know, farther away. You're supposed to just take cover where you're at with your kit on. So my first time doing it, I heard it. I didn't know what was going on. Throwing stuff on. I was like three in the morning. I looked like someone out of like an SNL skit, like just crap hanging everywhere, running around. And then you hear a thing and it actually looks like a laser, like Star Wars. You hear like this. And basically what it is, it's this thing called the C-RAM. And just think of this device that shoots thousands and thousands of rounds per second. Like you can't even see it. You just see a red laser. And what it's doing is protecting the base and shooting at the missile projectile coming in and trying to blow it up so the missile doesn't actually impact where you're at. But sometimes based off the location where you're at on base, walking back from the chow hall, sleeping, you hear the incoming sirens and you're next to one of the C-Rams or you see a C-Ram come and you see it shooting above you, you know that that projectile is getting closer to where you're at. And so you just get a little on edge. But as time went on, bro, people would sit outside and film that with their phones. And like, you're just like, oh, look at that. Like, you just kind of accept that eh, if it's your time, it's your time. It's not the safest or recommended ways to do it. And people get yelled at all the time. But yeah, it definitely threw me for a loop. But halfway through deployment, I didn't care. I just sat in my office. I just walked around base. I just, oh, yeah, it man. is what it is. But it wasn't That's safe. <laughs> Were you ever out on the field and encountered other people that you had to take down or anything like that? So I never had to personally utilize my weapon, as I say, as an officer. And if an officer's ever shooting their weapon, you're in a really bad position. You have 30 to 40 other soldiers doing that for you. And I, you get to fly outside the wire, you get to go on missions and come back. But the main source of my deployment was getting moved into a staff position as well. So I didn't have to, I wasn't out there shooting my weapon at small arms, you know, other people. What we were doing is coordinating the, I'm trying to think of the proper way to say this, the utilization of the drones and, or looking at, you know, confirming and saying, okay, to, okay, you can drop bombs here, or we can validate that. So you're seeing a lot of death per screens, or you're seeing people that got injured on base and you're seeing the pictures and the results of like, Hey, take cover. But a lot of the things that was interesting that I thought of, that, you know, I thought war was going to be more kicking down. It's not like that anymore. We use a lot of drones. There's kids, I say kids, people back in America controlling drones, you know, like video games and essentially taking lives and eliminating the threat. They're not even in country sometimes. It's pretty oh, wild yeah. to think of. That is crazy. Yeah. Technology is gnarly, man. So that's actually what happened. So from a long distance, so like you were definitely much there. You've witnessed a lot of lives being yeah. taken. You've Absolutely. And that must have a real impact, man, on your health and mental health after a while, you know, when yeah. sometimes you don't think about it, it's in your subconscious, you know? Yeah, I didn't think about it at all till, like I said, probably a year, year and a half afterwards, that kind of effect. I mean, when you first see people, you know, death in general on screen, or you see the reports coming in of, okay, we just lost, you know, these people or this, you know, your allies, you're just like, wait, whoa, like someone was just taken like that. Like it just, it doesn't really hit home until you kind of understand that like, oh, this individual or these people are actually gone forever now. And so you try not to think too much about it. Another, again, suppression, I will say the way of thinking was, and this is kind of a weird way of saying this, but 
if you accept the fact that, and this is going to sound extreme, but if you accept the fact that you're a walking dead man, essentially, like if you go into battle or if you go into, you know, like gladiators, you're like, yeah, I'm dead. It doesn't matter. I'm going to battle. If you accept that and you can mentally say, okay, the chances of me potentially not coming home. Yeah. Just come to peace with it. It doesn't bug you as much. Whereas like, if you just start worrying and worrying and thinking you're not going to be privy to doing your job correctly and ensuring present either. Hi, you're not present at all. You're thinking about home. You're thinking about getting back to your wife, your dog, family. And that's where you make mistakes. Yep. And so it's an adjustment, but we adapt and overcome and we're told to do that time and time. And you train for it. It's not like we were untrained, but on the mental side of things, it was really just hush, hush. I never saw any sort of mental, there's a chaplain, they have chaplains everywhere that act as basically your shrink or someone to talk to, which is nice to have, but there's no proper, I didn't see any type of proper implementation of like, Hey, let's ensure that everyone's mental health is okay. How can we help you? It was just looked upon as being weak. Yeah. Well, so people would just shut up and just march on and pretend everything was okay. Hey, it's shut up like and do your job. Mentality that we're trying to break with living, you know, and it mantra, if it ain't weak to speak, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. It's really important, mate. And it's very important. And I appreciate you sharing some of that stuff, you know, with me and with us because, you know, rethinking those moments in your life, although sometimes they may not seem like they're impactful, Mm -hmm. like sometimes all this stuff, you know, no human being is supposed to take everything on by themselves. And after a while, when you're just dumping and dumping and pouring stuff on you and you think that you're okay, it, it does build up, man. It really does build up. And that's not me trying to get into anyone's psyche and no, for say, sure. just because this is what happens. It actually, it's statistical. That's exactly what happens. Right. Yeah. And I think the biggest issue, not even just from a veteran standpoint, from in general, men, that it ain't weak to speak. And the reason I love that so much, and you're seeing people come out, I think it's being talked about more and more and the stigma around it is slowly starting to surface due to people like yourself and living and the people, these athletes coming out. And, you know, you just recently saw Patty Pimbleton talk about his mate he just lost. And I think what it is from the research and the videos I've watched and this stuff is mental health. There's no CAT scan. There's no x-ray. There's nothing that you can see. Hey, you have a mental health issues. It's all subjective. It's all things of, you know, I think this, or I think that if you can't see it, people don't believe it. Like when you have a herniated disc, you can see that on an MRI and people know like, okay, now I know what to do or how to kind of potentially fix that with mental health. Everyone's different. It can come and go. It's not always just a chemical imbalance. It can be a combination of things, the way you're living, the way you've been brought up, the trauma that's happened to you. And it's such a hard thing to say, I need help and I need someone to listen to me but I don't know how to convey that to my best friends. I don't know how to convey that to my, you know, children that I have. How do I explain that daddy's upset in the head and getting angry about something because he saw something in war or his parents did something to him or her when they were younger? It's talked about a lot, but it's hard to kind of, I guess, action those things. It's really hard to intellectualize it. It is. And it's looked upon as being weak. And that's why it ain't weak to speak is just such a statement to me and made me personally feel like, okay, like don't just take the statement for granted. Let's live by it. Let's do those things. And it's helping me realize that people, and you've said this multiple times, this is a credit to you. It's the biggest issue I see with mental health and, and people going through it and unaware of how to handle it is they always try to come to the table with a solution. 
and it's not. Most of the time, we just need someone to listen. And I know you've been a big advocate of that, of just listen. Don't try to fix people. They want to express themselves and they want to talk and they need to be heard. And I think, you know, that is now becoming something hopefully that is more normal, specifically for men. And I just recently, as of yesterday, this is the first time I've ever experienced this and or talked about it clearly, but I had the first time in my life, really, really close friend of mine tell me he had suicidal thoughts this past week. And it hit me so hard and I almost didn't know how to react, but I was like, wait, wait, just remember, let's just listen before you like start freaking out. or And it was surreal to me because you hear about it, you see things until you're personally affected with someone struggling to that degree where they want to take their life. It doesn't really you can't really comprehend that how serious this matter is. And for me to hear that and then have this conversation with you, it was almost like the universe saying, you know, it's kind of time to really take this serious and understand that it is okay to not be okay. And we need to have more conversations like this about it, whether you're a veteran, whether you're a dad, whether you're a man or woman, but it's something that I didn't recognize really as an issue until about a year, year and a half ago. And I'm glad there's people like yourself, you know, having these platforms to talk about these issues because a lot of people feel heard when you say these things and you have these conversations, whether it's on Joe Rogan or on, you know, some influencer podcast, people are feeling heard and they're feeling more welcomed when it comes to this topic. So a lot of credit to you. So true, man. Yeah, man. Mate, well said. You're a very intelligent human being. You are, Christian, man. I try. (laughs) Testament to you, mate. Very well said, mate. I appreciate it. And I agree with what you've said. What do you think, you know, like if you had this mantra back in the military and you thought, you know, and if it was top of mind, it was something that was preached. Do you think, do you think it would have been a safer place for a lot of people? It ain't weak to speak. I think it would help. I still think the stigma around potentially not being able to do your job because of being flagged as mental health would still, and that's a system within the military that needs to be looked at and fixed, but it ain't weak to speak sort of message, I think would be tremendous. I think people like yourself, people with these experiences in the past, I think the military and other organizations outside of the military would benefit so much from people like you going there in teaching, talking, you know, providing the platform for others to say, hey, it is okay. And, and what can we do about this? And we're, here's some ways we can get help. It would definitely help. By all means, it would be huge. But there's it's hard. I mean, you build connections. I mean, I have some very, very close conversations about every other topic you can imagine going on in a soldier's life, but never mental health. There was one soldier I dealt with that came to me about suicidal thoughts, and we did what we thought could help him, and it worked, and that wasn't necessarily through the Army's route. It was something that we discussed within our chain of command of how we could handle this, and obviously notified the proper, you know, people above us turned out to be one of the best assistant gunners I've ever had. So it was cool to see a bounce back story like that. Yeah, it really was. But not everyone bounces back, unfortunately. And that's why I think what you mentioned earlier reiterated the fact of just being there for someone that might be struggling is so important, huh? Yeah. Trying to solutionize everything and come up with a game changing moment to save their life. I mean, it's just being there, being with them in their pain. Mate, what was the, you know, Going through all of this experience for yourself, obviously, it's a mate. I've 
we've hung out a bunch of times. We're right. good mates. We run Absolutely. together. You and I, we, we chat about health and well-being and we're, right. we're always go, 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 go. During your moments, I guess, being deployed and this whole time up in the army, so to speak, and you said around about a year, year and a half after you got out, you know, you're seeing trucks and you're hearing those yeah. things. What has been one of the most challenging periods of your life up until this stage from a mental health perspective, would you say? So you're asking prior to me dealing with this, what has been the hardest moment or no? Yeah, including that and everything up until today. Like, yeah. has there been one turning point moment for you in your life where you went, fuck me? Yeah, I, this is really, yeah. yeah, I would say there's kind of an ongoing issue that's not military related that has affected me immensely throughout my adult lifehood. And then I'll get into the military. So for me personally, I don't share this too much and I don't want to really put too much about this out there, but I personally was affected by, I'm trying to think of the proper way to say this. I would say emotional and verbal abuse from my mother. And I think that was something to do with genuinely an imbalance chemicals, whether that being being bipolar, whatever it may be, you know, her trauma and stuff like that. And this isn't a dig on my mother because I love her very much. We don't have a relationship with her as of now because I think mental health is bigger than everything, regardless of family and stuff. And that's just my personal opinion. You know, taking care of yourself and who you are as an individual, you have to take care of yourself. And sometimes you need to, you know, get rid of the negativity. And I think that had a massive effect on me. And I didn't recognize it and realize it. And my friends did, and my friends' parents saw what I was going through and I didn't understand. And so that took its toll on me. And then it kind of hit that childhood trauma along with the middle of COVID plus my PTSD and anxiety with mental health and whether that be miniature depressions, that all hit, I would say the middle of 2020. And when I was like, oh God, this is, I'm in a new city in Los Angeles, which is, as you know, just a wild ride in general, but that culminated with my childhood stuff with my PTSD and anxiety and depression all coming and hitting in the middle of 2020. I was like, this is enough. I got to get help. I was being very mean to people within my inner circle, creating bad habits, just very impatient, very stressful, always on edge, becoming alert. It was just unhealthy, wasn't sustainable. And it wasn't me. And I had friends call me out and be like, bro, are you good? What's going on? Like, this isn't the Christian deletory I know. And when it started affecting the people within my inner circle, I knew it was time to kind of take a big look in the mirror and reevaluate. And that's when I started really getting into, you know, it ain't weak. Just, and that's where I was like, wow, what are the odds that I end up meeting you and befriending you in what you're doing? And that really kickstarted me along with my therapy and exposure therapy to really wake up and go, hey, man, we got to do something about this. So middle of 2020. I love it, man. Yeah. I love it, man. And I appreciate you sharing that stuff with us. That's what it's all about, man. We all go through ups and downs in life. And unfortunately, they definitely don't always stay up the top. <laughs> no. They always change, man. I, I wish we were always at the top. I but I guess life needs to have its peaks and it needs to have its troughs. But knowing where you are in that roller coaster, I think is important in your life. Absolutely. Where you are genuinely for yourself. Yeah. Mate, before we close this episode off, we could talk for days. Oh, I know. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> we, we haven't got to. Maybe we can do another podcast. Absolutely. Anytime. What are the three things I want to know from Christian, from yourself? We haven't really spoken about this. Give me three things you do to look after yourself. What are three self-care things you do to look after yourself to be the best version of yourself? What are they? The three biggest things I have that I currently do, it is what it is. Biggest one is diet. I switch my diet up. So I intermittent fast. I'm very, very big on not partaking in any sort of alcohol consumption during the week. 
I try to clear that out. And that's something that my body, because my body's in pain and I'm, you know, as you know, my history with the military. So I need to take care of myself and my body. And that's the biggest one is getting up, being active. And then I would say meditation and yoga. So that kind of is all in one. Every morning I stretch. I thought it was the dumbest thing to set intentions. I thought it was so stupid and so like weak per se. So yogi, man. Yes. Yeah, just the typical guy putting the hair up and doing my stretch. But it has changed my life traumatically. I mean, just drastically, I should say. It has been so huge. So staying active. And then I would say the biggest one for me personally would be the active lifestyle. I would say I would probably have to say journaling. I don't know if that's, I like to put stuff down on paper in my notes, what I'm thinking, what I'm going through. And then I can look at that later on objectively. And Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, really actually pushed me to start journaling more. And and actually you've given me a gift of stuff with a journal in it. So I would say, you know, the journaling, being active, a proper diet and meditation. That's kind of four things. Yeah, mate, it's good stuff. And I mean, these things work for you and you know, they may not work for everyone else that might be listening, but you heard it from Christian. There are very, very straightforward self-care strategies that we can do to look after ourselves. Yeah. And unfortunately, they don't suit everyone, man. I used to try and tell people to go for a run when they were feeling hot-headed. Or, yeah. Just, but, mate, some people just don't like running. <laughs> they you know? hate so it, yep. I've come to the realization that these self-care strategies change too over time, you know, like this last couple of years has probably been some of the most challenging mental health years of my entire life, to be brutally honest. Yeah, and man. Some of the old mental health strategies that, I used to implement to make differences in my well-being weren't kind of working. Right. I was like, holy shit, what am I going to do? So then I was going back to the drawing board. I was figuring out going back to basics and trying new things. And then it got me to stepping out of my comfort zone and taking on new projects and things that were kind of scary and new. And that's helped as well. So there's no one journey for anyone. No. It's not like go down this route and you're going to be a success or mentally healthy and happy. Yeah. It's kind of like all roads no matter what road you take, as long as it's your road and it works for you, it's going to lead you to the right place. Exactly. That's how I look at it. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, kind of caveat off of that. You're absolutely right. Change is good. And we got to learn to adapt, which like you said, some days it's me going out and having a random conversation with a stranger at a coffee shop that puts my headspace back to, you know, clarity. And mate, I've seen, it changes. I've seen you running around the town, mate. Hey, how are yeah, you, buddy? You know. What's going on, Johnny? Yeah, I, I don't know how you roll, man. I don't know how to roll. You get it. So, Christian, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, man, to have you on the podcast. Talk to me. How can people follow your journey, reach out, support you, what you're up to? Yeah, how can they do absolutely. That? I'd say your biggest bet is I'm on I'm on Instagram at De La Van Life. That's where you can find me. I do TikTok a little bit, but man, hit me up on Instagram if you ever need anything or want to reach out. Just know that myself and Sam, we're always in your corner you're ever struggling by all means shoot us a message but feel free to hit me up there that's all i utilize really i'm just out here living for a living brother thank you for having me i appreciate it man feels good to get some stuff off the chest it's been an absolute pleasure man having you on here can't wait to see you in human form brother soon likewise man until then my bro take care look after yourself big love and remember it ain't weak to speak that's right brother it ain't weak to speak in life reps we'll talk to you soon brother love you Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, 
please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.